Hey guys, welcome back to Sarah Says, the weekly podcast with me, Sarah, CEO and Chief Scrunchy Enthusiast over at Sock Bun Studios, talking about whatever it is that's on my mind. Happy Falalala holidays, everyone! It is week three of the Christmas movie extravaganza. Oh man, guys, so many movies, because guess what? Up TV is also doing new Christmas movies every Saturday and Sunday. Yay! Yay! I'm so excited. It's totally fine. There are four Hallmark movies to talk about. Three on regular Hallmark Channel. One Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. We have two Netflix movies. I'm going to talk about this. And then we also have one Up TV. Oh... You know, this week I get to also add in Lifetime. It's, I may, I may have taken on too much. <laughs> yeah, I may, have, I may have done that. Okay, anyway, let's get into it. We don't have time. Okay, let's kick this off. Countdown to Christmas, Friday night, Gingerbread Miracle, starring Mary Patterson and John Ecker. I have marked this as a favorite. You cannot miss this movie. I am absolutely obsessed. I am obsessed and I am so excited in ways that are unfathomable to me. Like, I almost can't even put into words how excited I am about these plot lines because Merritt Patterson is usually so typecast as this girl that I just can't decide. I just don't know. I just don't know what to do. Honestly, that's what her, that's like what her characters always say. And I hate it. She does not say that. I just, I was like, just saying all the Hail Marys and all the thank yous out into the universe. I love it. And I love John Ecker. I don't think I've seen him in anything before. Please, Hallmark, can you put him in new stuff? I am obsessed. If Coyote Creek Christmas weren't just so invincible, this would be the top spot, but it's a solid number two, like 1A, 1B right now in Hallmark 2021 Christmas movies. It is, it's amazing. It reads... Two old friends from high school work together over Christmas to sell his uncle's Mexican bakery, famous for its magical gingerbread cookies that Grant wishes. Look, in the words of Despicable Me, Grew, am I upset that I do not have a little local bakery where family members will personalize, make gingerbread cookies that you can then make a wish on and they come true? No! Well, a little, but... Honestly, Hallmark, the unrealistic expectations that I have in my life. This is, this is Travis Van Winkle's go home, make tea, work on our gingerbread house all over again. I mean, why? Why? Gingerbread? Magical gingerbread cookies, everyone. I love it. I love it. Anyway. The Penanceria, which is Spanish for bakery, is known for these magical cookies. Uh, Luis owns it. His family has run it for generations. Uh, But his wife has passed away, and he just doesn't feel the spark anymore. He doesn't do the gingerbread cookies anymore, so he's ready to move on. Maya, played by Merritt Patterson, is working in the office there. She grew up there. She's moved back home two years previously after getting a divorce. She and her husband just didn't work out. They, they go into it, and I, I wasn't exactly paying attention when she was telling Alex about this. But um, 
Things didn't work out, so she's moved home and she's been working out of the office in the Panaderia. She used to work in the Panaderia when she was in high school. She's there when uh, Luis calls his nephew Alex to wish him a happy birthday. Alex has to call back. This is how he finds out that Luis is selling. And he says, well, Tia Luis, if you are selling it, I want to come home and have one last Christmas there. He is a lawyer in New York City. So he goes back to Colorado to the little town and reconnects with Maya. The two of them had been friends in high school. What we come to find out, had both liked each other throughout. And we love this. They're very amicable. And I love this too because they could have, it could have been like the enemies, the lovers kind of thing or something. No, it wasn't. And I, I'm obsessed with this. So throughout the course of this, Maya's best friend, Brooke, ends up finding out between Maya and her little sister, Sydney, that Maya had written a letter to Alex in high school before she went off her junior year to study abroad in France. And I am confusion about this. Like, je suis très confusée. Because, I don't even remember if that's the French word for confused. <laughs> I know je suis très is I am very. Uh, it's been a while. I mean, I did take three years of French in high school and then a year in college, but that's been a long time now. Uh, anyway, I am very confused how she studied abroad for a semester in high school. But that's neither here nor there. We're just going to go with it, okay? So she wrote a letter to Alex in high school, put it in the jacket pocket of, like, his favorite jacket. But then she never hears anything. So when she comes back, she makes up this Jean-Pierre fake boyfriend. By the time Alex finds out about Jean-Pierre from Sydney on accident, because Sydney was unaware that that nobody knew that Jean-Pierre was fake, uh... They are getting ready to go to college, so he doesn't say anything. We, we find this out throughout the space of the movie, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put that all together there. So Alex is back. He is like all in doing all of this baking and stuff. He starts making the gingerbread cookies, but he's like, I, you know, I don't think it's gonna work because people are like, oh, you're making the cookies. They start making their wishes. He's like, you know, I think it's not Tia Luis doing it. Like, I don't, I don't know about this. And he is very heels in the ground, does not want to sell the panadria. Like, he's just, you know, like, people keep coming. He's like, I don't like that one. Yeah, not that one. Either. Like, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. And Maya's like, come on, you got to work with me here. Because I forget the exact kind of law that she does, but was that... Is she in real estate? Contracts. She's in contracts. Um, and he's in acquisitions, I think. So different, but sort of a little bit the same. Anyway, um, so she's like, you got to help me out here. They are talking. They're just, you know, being friends. When Jacques shows up, and I love Jacques. I don't know who plays Jacques, but they also love him too. He shows up. He wants to look at buying the bakery. In fact, he actually thinks that... Alex and Maya are dating. And at one point, Maya's like, no, we're not together at all. <laughs> Alex is like, well, why do you say it like that? He immediately, but also Jacques is not French. Anyway, um, and like sometimes they call him Jack. Anyway, not the point. So he tells his best friend, Ian, uh, he's like, this is Jean-Pierre all over again. <laughs> and they have this gingerbread obstacle course, really, 
really super cute. I love the gingerbread obstacle course. Um, but like it has these really great lines. He, Alex looks at Maya at one point and he says, wishing for something is a way to find out what your heart wants. Because he asks her like, you know, did you, have you made a wish? And she goes, yeah, Luis made me, um, a gingerbread, but you know, I just don't know. I don't know if I wish for the right thing. So that's when he says that. I'm like, I love that. Because that's very true. Like, wishing for something is a way of finding out what your heart wants. I love that. So later on, when we come to find out about the missed connection here, it's because her friend Brooke, they're all sitting around this fire. And she's like, Alex, have you ever made a wish? And he goes, oh, well, once when I was 16. And she's like, what'd you wish for? And he says, um, that the girl that I liked liked me back. And everyone's like, uh, they're like, oh, uh, well, did she? And he goes, yeah, but I found out way too late. Ian and Brooke just kind of walk away. And he tells Maya and Maya's like, oh, oh my gosh. And she, he's like, by the time that I find out that Jean-Pierre wasn't real, we were getting ready to go to college. And, you know, that felt wrong. And they look at each other and she's like, or he says, one of them says at first, they're like, I really want to kiss you right now. And the other one's like, I want to kiss you too. And they're like, but our timing is really bad. And I'm like, I am obsessed. I'm obsessed. Because it's just, which is different. Lately, Hallmark, they've been kissed. But I just love this. Where they, they have this understanding. Because at the time, he's like, well, I'm going back to New York City. And she thinks she's taking this job in Denver. And so they're like, man, our timing is just never been right. Which technically was like a little bit like the Christmas sale movie last Sunday. Um, but again, they're, it's very amicable, all of this. So, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you just, like, well, you just, <laughs> I'm like, God, come on. And Christmas Eve comes around. Alex pulls out this yearbook, which by the way, said 2006. I feel personally victimized because that is the year that I graduated. And, like, it's fine. I know that I'm 33, but I just... I'm like, oh, my God, they're pulling out yearbooks to reminisce now. And it's the year... Because we're at the same age. Oh, God. It's fine. Totally fine. And so, um, Maya, like, gets this job offer, finds out that's really not going to be that great of a job. And, you know, she's thinking that... Uh, Alex is going back to New York City and she is talking to Brooke and Sydney and she's like, I just don't understand. I made this wish. Like, Luis made me a gingerbread of a red briefcase. She has a red briefcase. She goes, and I made this wish that uh, my life would get back on track. But, and you know, and then things started happening and now like the job's not great and I have these feelings for Alex and I just, I don't know what to do. And they say, well, maybe you thought what your wish isn't what you want. Like, maybe you thought you wanted what your wish was, but that's, that's not it. And I also feel that hardcore because I've done that before where, like, I'll wish for something and it's like, no, nah, that's not what it's supposed to be, though. So you gotta, you gotta really tailor those wishes properly, wording-wise. So anyway, at the very end, 
Alex decides that he wants to stay and he wants to take the penitentiary over because uh, he, he kind of hates being a lawyer. Maya decides she's staying. Jacques uh, it ends up not buying because he's like, you know what? I, because Alex had made him a cookie of a bakery, he's like, you know, I, I made a wish uh, that I had my dream bakery and like now the place that I have, they've decided to renew with the, you know, it's the same amount and, like, I feel kind of bad because I don't think I need to relocate now. And Alex walks out. He's like, no, it's fine because I was just coming out to tell you that you had to halt the sale because we're not selling. And it was just, they kiss. It snows. It was really good. I loved it. I loved it a lot. I, there wasn't a part that I hate. There was zero parts that I hated. And now I would like to have a gingerbread off school course happened and and I also would like a, a magical gingerbread cookie. I don't know what mine would be though. I don't know it would be like a scrunchie or like I don't I don't really know. <laughs> it's gonna be a gingerbread cookie specifically made for the person. So it'd probably be a scrunchie for me. I don't know but but I, I want it. I want it. Moving on Saturday night next stop Christmas again regular Hallmark channel this was the Back to the Future cast-ish, like some of the cast, Back to the Future cast, uh, meets Hallmark. But really, it's like Polar Express mixed a little bit with 13 going on 30, but also throw in Christina Lawrence in a holidays, put that in a blender and mix it all up. And that was this movie. Also loved it. Didn't love it, like didn't mark it as a favorite, but I did love it. Starred Lindsay Fonseca, Chandler Massey, Leah Thompson, Christopher Lloyd, and Erica Slezak. This reads, Angie wonders what her life would be like if she had married a former boyfriend who became a famous sportscaster. She takes the train home to spend Christmas with her family and inexplicably finds herself 10 years in the past. With the advice of the train's enigmatic conductor, Angie has the chance to revisit that Christmas and learn what and who is truly important to her. So Angie is a doctor working in the city, in New York City, and it's Christmas Eve, she um, calls her family, says, you know, yeah, I'm going to try to come home, um, you know, I'll try to see you guys, but you know, she's busy, she's a busy doctor. Um, not a stuck-up busy doctor, uh, like, that some can be, but she's just, she's busy. She goes to a bar, um, sees this ex, and she's like, oh, yeah, funny story. Like, I used to date him and he proposed. And they're like, wait, what? She goes, yeah, I said no because it just wasn't the right time for us. As she's leaving, she runs into Ben, who was her childhood friend. And um, he's like, yeah, you know, I was going to help your sister with their adoption because they've been having problems. And she's like, wait, what? Um, and he's like, yeah, and... And he's in corporate law. And she's like, what? I thought you were going into family law. It's this whole thing. So she just kind of takes off to Grand Central Station and meets Christopher Lloyd's character. And she says, I need a ticket home. So she gets this ticket, gets a return ticket, gets on this train, closes her eyes, and she wakes up. And it's all, it's a completely different train. It's all decked out for Christmas. There's no one else there. And she's like, well, what's going on? Tyler shows up, the ex-boyfriend who's now famous. She's like, wait, what's happening? Turns out she has gone back to 2011, the year that he had gone home with her for Christmas when he proposes, so on and so forth. They get 
you know, they get off the train. She's she's very confused. She runs into Christopher Lloyd's character, who is now on the train. She's like, wait, you're the guy that sold me the ticket. He's like, oh, what? He goes, well, um, where's your return ticket? So she pulls it out. Well, it's only like half of a ticket. He goes, oh, well, you know, you can't return it without a ticket. And she's like, well, what? What? And he goes, you should really get off at your stop. And like, you can't make it home without getting off the train, basically. So she realizes that she kind of has to fix things in order to get the full train ticket. So she gets off and her father is there. And she's like, wait, what? Because her parents have since between 2011 and 2021 had gotten a divorce. And she's like, you're here. (laughs) And he goes, well, yeah, where else would I be? And she goes, Arizona. And he goes, in that heat? I don't think so. (laughs) So she is very thrown off. She gets there. Her sister, you can tell, is a little off. And I kind of assumed where I knew where it was going. And it, it is what it was. So her sister is married. They have a son. Um, well, it's, they, I don't even think they were pronouncing it right. But it's, they well, they, they call him Henrik. Um, which I just, when I look at that, I'm thinking Enrique. But, uh, whatever. They say Henrik, so we'll say that even though I think that's wrong. And they've been trying to have a second baby, but they've done IVF and it's not working. So our sister is very upset about this. Um, Angie thinks at the time, like, okay, let's, like, maybe I need to say yes to Tyler. So first she tries to, and this is where it's kind of like in a holidays, because in that book, she keeps coming back and she's trying to figure out what needs to happen so that she stays in the present. And in Angie's case, she's trying to figure out so that she can get back to the present. Um, so first she's trying to get, so Tyler ends up proposing finally, not when he was originally supposed to, but he does. And she still doesn't end up back in the future. And after she says yes, so she's like, okay, it's not that. She's just like, okay, let me try to like keep my parents together. Um, which they had been drifting, so she keeps trying to do these different things to try and put them back in these scenarios. And um, they finally do reconnect at this Aunt Mert's Christmas party. And she still doesn't go back. And at this point, like, and and she tries bonding with her sister and helping her sister along. And, and she tells her sister at one point, like, you know, there are other ways. Like, there's adoption and... um you know, I, I know it sounds crazy, but you have to believe me that there is a special little girl waiting out there for you because, well, in 2021, there is. So she, it tries all these different things and she's like, well, it wasn't Tyler. It's not my parents. It's not my sister. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Meanwhile, she keeps like being with Ben, her best friend, Chandler Massey's character, which I was like, I was absolutely convinced that I knew who Chandler Massey was as an actor. And I still feel like that I do. And I know he was in Days of Our Lives. But anyway, it just drives me insane because I'm like, I just feel like I've seen him in something else. And I've literally skimmed all of his IMDb and it it asked me or it's someone that just looks exactly like Chandler Massey. So anyway, she tells him like he's the one that knows about the time travel because I feel like that's the rules of time travel. One person always has to know. So when she first tells him, he's like, 
he starts putting out all these references. She's like, no, I'm being serious. And so she says, okay, um, you're going to choke on a gumdrop today. <laughs> so when they get to the gingerbread decorating that day, her mom asks him at one point, like, oh, do you want a gumdrop? And he's like, I don't know. Do I? Do I? And he's like, no, I think I'll pass. But then Angie, I think Angie and Tyler are talking, and he just, like, absentmindedly picks one up and puts it in his mouth and starts choking. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, he's choking. And Angie's like, oh, is he choking on a gumdrop? Really? Really? She comes, she gives him the high, like, and then her sister's like, well, thank God you were here. And uh, Angie's like, yeah, like, how would you know? And Angie goes, yeah, you'd almost have to be able to predict the future. And that's when she, when Ben goes outside with her and he's like, oh, my God, you really are from the future. So he's like, okay, so you think that you have to say yes to Tyler's proposal? And she's like, yes, but he should have already proposed and he didn't. And she tells him how he was supposed to propose and, uh. Or, no, she says, you know, he's going to propose tonight. And, like, we're going to go here, and he's going to put the ring in the champagne. And he's like, oh, cliche, but okay. But then Tyler doesn't propose then. And so she's like, what's going on? So then later, Tyler does propose. And I will say, overall, did not love Tyler's character. Honestly, he should have been played by the guy that always plays the aloof boyfriends. And I've named him before. Um, but the proposal, so freaking smooth. Well, honest to God, the smoothest, <laughs> uh, proposal. He, they're like, they're ha- supposed to have a snowball fight. And he's like, well, um, I'd love to throw out the first pitch or something. And she's like, oh, a sports reference because he's a sportscaster. And so he throws her a snowball and then it just disintegrates into the ring box. And I... Gotta say, once again, Hallmark, you're giving me unrealistic expectations. Giving me very unrealistic expectations. And who's the guy? What's what's the guy's name? Ad- no, it's not Adrian. <laughs> oh, it was some guy in Entourage. Um, Because that's who the Tyler guy looked like. I'm going to look up Entourage really quick because, um, Adrian Grenier, that's it. <laughs> I had the Adrian part right. Uh, looked, it looked kind of like him. So anyway, um, but in the end she, she tells Tyler, like, this isn't going to work. She's like, I shouldn't have said yes and I'm sorry. And he's, she says, you deserve a perfect, no, what does she say? I, I need to get the words right here. Um. Oh my gosh, I have so many notes about this movie here. Um, He says, I put it in my text message to Jen. I'm just going to scroll back here real quick. Where did I have it? Oh, he says, I don't, she goes, you deserve an incredible woman that loves you as much. um, Or like that loves you. And and he's like, I don't want an incredible woman. I want you. (laughs) And she's like, huh? And he goes, well, I came out wrong. There were so many funny parts to this. But anyway, she keeps looking at this jewelry box 
that Ben had given her that when they were kids, but then her sister had found in the attic and like did for the white elephant. And so she got it again. And he had said this thing where he's like, oh, it's between me and Frosty. And I was, Jen and I were literally, well, she's in Boston and I'm in Ohio. And we're both like, will you, will, like, will you tear this box apart? My mom's sitting there. And my mom's like, I would have demolished this box trying to figure out what he meant by that. Because there's something here between me and Frosty. Turns out her sister, after she tells her sister, like, yeah, I, um, like, ended it with Tyler. She goes, okay, well, now I can give you this. <laughs> it's a letter. And it's from Ben. He's like, you have my whole heart. You always have. And I love you forever. So she calls him. And he's like, where are you? I want to find you. And she goes, no, I have to go. Because her train ticket gets whole again. And she's like, I have to go. And uh, she says, I'll see you in 10 years at 10 p.m. at this inn. And she's like, I love you. And she shows up. 10 years back in the present day, she forgets. I'm like, girl, girl. But then she remembers. She's like, oh my God. She shows up. She's late. And she's like, that's it. Like, I'm too late. Ben's there. He's like, well, the salads are getting cold. She turns around. He's there. He ends up proposing with the frosty jewelry box. I love it. I loved it. I loved it. But then as they're leaving to go, um, to catch the train to go home, she says, and like her parents are still married and her sister and brother-in-law, the adoption's gone through. But as they are going to the train station to get to Connecticut, she's like, do me a favor. Don't let me fall asleep on this train. And the newspaper comes down and it's Christopher Lloyd's character. Uh, but you can see on the newspaper, it says that Tyler's gotten engaged and It was just, it was, it was, it was a perfect, like, all of the strings, they all, they got attached at the end, all the loopholes were closed up, we didn't fall into the tropes, loved it. Hopping over to Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, Miracles of Christmas, Debbie Maycomber's A Mrs. Miracle Christmas, starring Caroline Ray, Caitlin Doubleday, Steve Lund, and Paula Shaw. Guys. I have said it before, I said it the second week, and I will say it again. HMM get nine movies, so they have to deliver every time, and they delivered again. Three for three, I have cried all three weeks for Movies and Mysteries. Now, I'm not sure about next week's, but that's not the point. We're going to focus on this one. I love it. And I know this is based off of a book. Debbie Maycomer is a famous author, um, well, well, I guess famous is maybe a relative term, but it's just very well, like, just, there are tons of books, tons of books. You go to anywhere, I mean, you'll see a Debbie Maycomber book uh, out and about. So, you know, you, I, I knew, I knew this was going to be emotional uh, because it's movies and mysteries, but like the way that I cried and the way that I know that I would absolutely bawl my freaking eyes out if I were to ever read this book, while also simultaneously at times wanting to scream, like, you know, appropriately. Anyway, it reads, when a family faces loneliness and loss of faith, Mrs. Miracle swoops in to renew their Christmas spirit and they experience a holiday of heavenly proportions. Okay, now I know that, that sounds very, very corny cheesy. But this movie tugs on your heartstrings. So Caroline Ray has taken over the role of Mrs. Miracle. It used to be played by um, the mom from That's So Raymond. 
Um, again, I, I had the name, and but it's 11.13 at night, and so I, I don't have that name off the top of my head now at this point. Um, she plays Gloria Merkel Capricorn. Um, that's what she says at one point. Uh, Gloria Merkel Capricorn. But everyone calls her Mrs. Miracle. Uh, she shows up after Laurel and Will call this um, caregiver service uh, because they need someone to to be with their Nana, with Laurel's Nana, who is played by Paula Shaw. And I love Paula Shaw. She is, like, she's the best sassy grandma character. I love her. Uh, she had fallen, had hurt her wrist, and so they just wanted someone while they were at work during the day. And at the time, this, this girl named Mercy was like, oh, you know, there's no one available right now, but, um, we can put your name on the list, and if there's an opening, we'll send someone over. So Laurel says, yes, absolutely, please, you know, let's do that. She goes, because you guys come so highly rated. The next day, Gloria shows up, and she says, oh, I was sent here. They're like, oh, well, okay, great, because, you know, they said they didn't have any openings. And she says, oh, yep, yeah, um, you know, my last job's done, and I'm here. I brought a gift. They're snickerdoodles. Laurel had just said, like, oh, I forgot to make the snickerdoodles, for the staff, uh, the staff lunch today because she's a teacher. And Nana is immediately like, I don't need a babysitter. <laughs> and Gloria's like, oh, well, good thing I'm not a babysitter. Like, I'm just, I'm just here to help get everyone's life on track. So they show her around. Laurel decides to show, uh, Gloria around. And Gloria asks, about this one room, which we see at the beginning, Laurel has shut. There's a crib, there's a rocking chair, and I'm like, oh god, it's like, is it gonna be like a dead child? Like, I don't know that I can handle this. Um, but Laurel at the time simply says, um, you know, we don't open that door, and Gloria says, I like the closed doors because they tend to point me to the open ones. <sighs> what a line! I don't know if that's literally written in the book or in any of the Mrs. Miracle books because I feel like there's been, I've seen multiples of these movies, but I've never been able to watch them before. But amazing. I like the closed doors because they tend to point me to the open ones. <laughs> anyway, um, they go off. Nana gets to the bottom of this, and she is the one that tells Gloria uh, about the closed door, because Gloria ends up asking, you know, what, what is behind the closed door? Because, you know, Laurel and Will, you know, they don't want to talk about it. And Nana says, um, that was Jonathan's room. They are, they fostered him from three days old they were going through the adoption process. We had him for 18 months. And then the mother changed her mind, cleaned up her act, and was able to get him back. And that was last Christmas. And, you know, Laurel's just never recovered from um, the loss. And then my husband died, uh, Pops. And, you know, it's just been a really hard year. So I don't need help. But if you want to stick around to get Laurel to see the light again. Let's do it. So Gloria's like, okay, let's do that. Like I can, if you know, the, let's do that because Gloria's an angel. <laughs> like just, an, 
just in case, just in case you didn't know that. So anyway, um, I just, one, I was a preschool teacher between, like, I nannied for a family and then I was a preschool teacher and now I'm a nanny again. And one of my sweetest little boys in my classroom was a foster to adoption child. And the love that his mother had, his his foster to adoption mother had, was so unmatched. And fostering is such a selfless act of service because you truly, uh, there are cases, I mean, in this little boy's case, he had been born um, addicted to uh, a drug. I, I think it was heroin. Um, so obviously that was a, a pretty standard case um, for them to foster adopt. But there are cases where the actual parents need help and you are there to just foster the child so that they can get the help and they can get back on the right path and get their children back. And it's hard to form attachments, especially from a newborn, all the way 18 months and then you lose that child and it's, you know, you're you're happy that that child is with their respective parents, but I can't imagine that. But Will is trying to get Laurel to see the light again. And, you know, Laurel doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to deal with any of that. Uh, Will runs into Nancy, who runs the fostering agency. And he says, put us back on the list. Um, I'll get Laurel on board. But Laurel gets blindsided by Nancy at this point. She calls and she's like, hey, we have this newborn, um, but he needs placement right away. And she says, you know, I'm really sorry, but we're not on the list. And Nancy says, are you, you know, oh, you're not, well, I cook, well, yeah. And Nancy realizes what's happened and she's like, you know what, never mind. I'm, I apologize. Um, misunderstanding. Laurel gets home, Will's there, and he says, you got a call. And she says, I can't believe you would do this. Um, you know, we talked about this and he says, you know, but we, we can do this again. And she says, I can't go through that loss again. I feel like I lose everyone that I love and I can't do this. So, you know, I am so sorry that I can't give you the family that you deserve. And he says, no, you are my family. And she says, no, you deserve to have children. And I'm so sorry that I can't give that to you. So, you know, maybe it's time. And he's like, no, what are, what are you talking about? And she says, you know, maybe it's it's time that we go our separate ways because I'm here and and you want to move on and I it's not fair for me to keep you in this place and he's yeah and you can just tell his heart is breaking I love Steve Lund I love him I loved him in this role he was so raw in this role and in this moment I was like I was trying to have all of the feelings for Laurel because I truly can't imagine that heartbreak and at the same time I'm like will you stop it? Like, I was, I I was still feeling for her, but at the same time, I was like, I just, but it's a, I feel like that's a very real emotion or a real thing that real people go through. And so he says, 
I'm not giving up on us. Like, I'll give you space, but this is not over. Like, we are not getting a divorce. Like, end of the day, you are my family. And if you are the only family that I have, that's enough for me. Um, so Laurel talks to Gloria and she says, you know, how am I supposed to move on? How, how do I move on past this? And Gloria tells her that she was a mother. Uh, she had a girl, Mercy, who had passed away unexpectedly after at 19. And she says, but you know, I wouldn't trade those 19 years for anything. If I knew what I knew then, I would still do it all over again. And um, Gloria says, sometimes you don't get to know the why. And oh my God, you guys, the way that I feel this. Ugh. I, I mean, the exact conversations that I've had before when, when things happen and you just, you're like, there's no logical reason. You're like, why, why does this happen? And you, sometimes you don't get to know the why. And Laurel realizes that that they're right. Nana's right. Gloria's right. Will's right. She goes to Will. He apologizes. She says, no, I'm sorry. And I, uh, like, my heart stopped because I'm like, oh my God, what? Excuse me? And she says, I was dwelling in pain and I shouldn't have asked you to live in that with me. And then she thanks him for never giving up on her. I was crying, just crying. So, they go to Midnight Mass that night. Mercy is there singing. Will had run into Mercy in this charity shop. Mercy is Gloria's daughter. They're angels. And um, they and before they go into Mass, they run into people that, like children from Laurel School, and they come to find out that that family, they're all foster adoption children. Um, well, some regular fosters and then fosters that they adopted. And so the next morning on Christmas Day, like they, well, they call Nancy and they're like, put us back on the list. We're, we're all in, um, not just newborns because it, it had been newborns. Uh, but this family said, you know, it's, you'd never believe how many older children there are that don't get placements. So the next day, Nancy calls. She says that there's a six-year-old girl that just lost her mother which is the same age that Laurel was when she lost her mom. Uh, and her name is Kelly, and Kelly was the name of her mother. And so they take her in, and then it shows them three years later, Kelly's waking them up on Christmas morning, and then they're like, okay, we got to go get Bobby up. He's a little baby boy, which I assume maybe they also foster adopted. I don't, I don't know, but I was like, oh my God, Nana's still there. Ugh. I'm literally, I have tears like thinking about this movie. It was so good. It was so good. HMM delivered again. It's like they got nine movies. They are three for three so far. Rounding out the Hallmark movies for the week back over on regular Hallmark channel, A Christmas Treasure starring Jordan Sparks and Michael Xavier. Holy chemistry, you guys. I fanning myself. If Jordan Sparks and Michael Xavier are not together in real life, I don't know why. And 
I would fear if they have spouses or significant others. I mean, I'm sure that they they would never cheat, but like <laughs> if Arthur's, I'd be like, you know what, you you guys should be together. The chemistry. I mean, either uh, either they have great chemistry or they're both very good actors. It reads, after opening a 100-year-old time capsule and meeting a charming chef, Lou questions whether or not she should move to New York after Christmas and further her writing career. So Jordan plays Lou. She comes from a family that has been the head of this town, for Pine Grove, for generation after generation after generation. She is getting ready to move to New York City. Um... Because she wants to further her writing career. She feels like she can't get her writing done in Pine Grove, where she has been writing, but she's also been the editor of the town's newspaper, which her family has also run for forever. She meets Kyle, played by Michael, who is the nephew of Marcy, who is the owner of the of a local restaurant. And at first they think that he's a waiter. <laughs> He's not a waiter. He's also a chef. He has come back from Chicago, um, just there to take a break, there to visit his Aunt Marcy. And, like, Marcy needs help trying to win this contest, and he wants to help her, and also he's um, looking at new jobs. So the two of them don't have a great start at the beginning, but then... um, Jordan's character Lou opens the time capsule with her father, who is the mayor, and they pull out, there was a number of items, and one of them happened to be her great-grandfather's diary. Her father gives it to her and says, you know, like, I want you to have this and it'll be good to have a piece with you when you go to New York. And she starts reading it and sees all of this self-doubt that her great-grandfather had had. Now, like, the library is named after her great-grandfather, all these things, because Lou is, like, you know, my family has marks all over this place, but I feel like I don't have anything specific about me for this town, and, and, you know, like, I want to go and do all of this. This movie was so good. I mean, one, the chemistry off the charts, the way he looked at her, so many times I was I'm like dying she Jordan is such a beautiful singer when she was singing and then like would pan to him watching her singing I just again loved it um at one point he says um well he asked her you know why are you moving then you know and she says well, I had this big birthday this year and I saw everything that all of my friends had achieved and then I see myself and I'm back home in my hometown and I just don't think that I've done enough and so I feel like I have to go. Again, I'm like, Hallmark, you don't have to make me feel so vulnerable and raw and seen in these moments. (laughs) Like, oh my God, I'm like... The way I feel that, the way I absolutely understand what that character is saying in that moment. So he's like, well, I understand that. And he's like, well, you know, I wish that I um, had been here sooner. And she says, why? And he goes, so that I could have met you sooner. 
We love it. He ends up deciding to stay. He still thinks she's going. Her sister-in-law was supposed to sing this part, but then she ends up having a baby. So then she has to sing it on Christmas Eve. Um, But at one point she gets to this point in her grandfather's, great-grandfather's diary where he says, everyone I love is here. And so she reads that line, immediately sits down, starts writing Christmas Treasure, this book. Like, she's kind of given up on her idea of um, Spanish influenza, which is what she had been trying to write. And Christmas Eve comes around. They do the singing and, and all this. And then she sees Kyle and he's like, I'm not leaving. And she's like, I'm not leaving. And it was really good. It ended really, really abruptly. I was... Like, I watched it after it had been on, so I was able to fast forward, and I thought I had timed it properly, so I didn't think that was the end, because I was looking at the time on the clock, and <laughs> so it was like, I was like, oh, wait, that was the end, like, because then it started rolling the credits, I was like, I don't, oh, okay, that was the end. Movie went by so super fast, again, unproblematic, not overly dramatic, no stupid miscommunications, no misunderstandings, none of the, like, doesn't fall into any of the tropes. We love it. And also, at one point, he looks at her and he says, we should celebrate. And she goes, this is my celebration. It's the food. Um, when she starts telling him about the Christmas treasure book. And he says, I think we can do better. And she says, really? And he goes, you should go out with me. If... If he's not that upfront and direct about his feelings for you, he is not the one. I don't know what else to say. I, I really don't. I honestly, my mouth dropped. He's like, well, I think we can do better. You should go out with me. I, speechless. Anyway. Hallmark absolutely crushed all four movies this week. There was not a bad one in the bunch. All four of these are binge-worthy. They're all fun. Well, they're not all fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, Next Stop Christmas, A Christmas Treasure, Gingerbread Christmas, Gingerbread Miracle. There I go. Gingerbread Miracle, not Gingerbread Christmas. All fun, light, fluffy, love but also they each had these little moments of like, oh man, that's deep. Like that's a moment right there. Like that's a, that needs to be put on a Hallmark card kind of moment. And then Debbie Maycomer's and Mrs. Miracle Christmas, that one just absolutely decimated me. But all four binge worthy, put them all on your list. Moving on now to Up TV. And if you don't get Up TV, you should get the Friendly TV app, F-R-N-D-L-Y TV. Friendly TV, please sponsor me. We're on week three here. Uh, Friendly TV app, you get Up TV. You also get all the Hallmark channels plus more. But um, what were we watching? I was at my aunt's house last night, and I don't even know the channel we were watching, but something was on, and then a commercial came on for this movie that was coming on at 7 p.m. on UpTV, and I was like, they're doing movies too? So I have now since learned that UpTV is also doing brand new Christmas movies every Saturday and Sunday. For how long, I don't know. 
But this is where I'm like, I may have overcommitted to all of this. If I'm adding, like, at some point, that's four Christmas movies on a Saturday alone. Regular Hallmark, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, Lifetime when they add it, and then Up TV. That's a lot. That's a lot of movies. This one, though, on Sunday. So I don't even know if there was a Saturday one. I got to figure this out. But anyway, Sunday aired Up TV. Um, Christmas with the Prince, The Royal Baby. Now, this is the third movie in this series, and I watched the other two last year. Stars Caitlin Lieb and Nick Hounslow. It reads, Happily married and expecting their first child, Princess Tasha and Prince Alec are settling into their lives as royals with lots of love and lots of humor. When it's announced that the prince must set off on a royal tour, Tasha insists on accompanying him, even though she's incredibly pregnant, much to the dismay of the king. Things are going smoothly until a complication forces Tasha into bed rest for the remainder of her pregnancy. Knowing that the baby must officially be born on San... How do they say it? San Saraz? Yeah. Soil. San... San Cesar. No. San... San Cesar. They spelled it wrong. <laughs> what is that? San Savar. That's how it's supposed to be. Soil. The team must scramble to figure everything out before the royal blessing arrives. Oh my god, what a freaking mess. They even spelled their fake name wrong. Oh man, up TV. Honestly... For me, I feel like I'm going to try to watch the Up TV ones, and I don't, I'm really, I don't want to be mean here, okay? Because, you know, people put in their time and effort into this. It's their job, all this, but watch this if you just really want something to laugh at. Don't watch this expecting any good things out of it. Um, Also has, I am going to IMDb this because... I, I need to do this proper justice here. Um, it also stars as the father, uh, Charles Shaughnessy, which if you don't know that name offhand, which I would not, it's Maxwell Sheffield from The Nanny. And if you don't understand that reference, then we have something to talk about here. And um, the guy that plays Blevins, which is like the private secretary, is basically the Walmart version, the Wish version of Tim Curry. It's the up TV version of, <laughs> that's me, of Tim Curry. Anyway, I mean, looks, looks almost exactly like him and has the same kind of mannerisms, etc., etc. Um, if you haven't watched the other two, Tasha and Nick, sorry, not Tasha and Nick, Tasha and Alexander or Alec meet in the first one, when she is a pediatric doctor and he ends up with a broken foot from a skiing accident and gets put on her um, floor, it, like, to keep away from the press. Now, he's just like a playboy prince at the beginning and all of this. It's actually based off of a Harlequin romance books. Uh, they get married in the second one and now here they are having a baby. It's also very much like the um, A Christmas Prince from Netflix, which, when you go to Amazon and you look this up to buy either the book or the movie uh, on DVD, 
um, they literally have both plots between A Christmas Prince from Netflix and Christmas with a Prince from FTV based off of Harlequin books. I can't make this up. The literal Harlequin book on Amazon has, <laughs> has the plot line from Christmas with, or A Christmas Prince on Netflix. I'm just, you know what? I appreciate all of these channels and all of these streaming services deciding to do so many Christmas movies a year, but at some point, it's like the argument goes on BBC Radio 1 between Scott Mills um, and Chris Stark. They have this segment where they say we're running out of music because there are only so many notes, so there are only so, so many ways that you can put the notes together, and... Um, like so many melodies that you can make and they will find the songs that have the same and mash them together and it's wild it's it's crazy and I'm like at some point we're gonna run out of Christmas movie titles like we're already seeing we're we're seeing this downfall here real hard here anyway funniest parts from this are First, they go off, so they get back to America. Why he has to go do this random tour, I don't really remember. But she decides that she has to go. Natasha is very much a Meghan Markle-esque character. Um, I think we all know how I feel about Meghan Markle here on this podcast. Um, so, sh she wants to go, but she's also, like, tries to... Well, calling her Meghan Markle to an extent. Because um, she decides that she has to go and and all of this. And, like, she hugs grumpy dignitaries and is pictured with um, eating a cheeseburger and stuff. Like, those I don't care about. Um, but you can just, you can tell the similarities here in, in, in the way they're portrayed. Um, and, like, she doesn't get along with the king. And, like, at one point, Nick... And I keep saying Nick, that's his real name. <laughs> Point Alec says to her, um, because she's like, you need to stand up for us. And he's like, well, I would, but you're always the one talking first. And I was like, that feels very Megan-esque. Um, so anyway, they end up at the hospital that she worked at and then they're getting ready to go back on a plane. And then she has some labor pains, but the babies aren't due, or the baby isn't due for two more months, but she gets put on bed rest. They have to turn her exact room into Sansevar territory so that the baby can be born on Sansevar land. And just as soon as that happens, her water breaks, obviously. He passes out. There's a slow montage moment of him passing out. Um, and then she gives birth, and the doctor's like, wait, we're not done. She just magically mysteriously had twins that apparently the royal doctor there wouldn't have seen apparently um and also like these twins are huge for being born two months early she was not that big she didn't even look like she broke a sweat in labor i would just love all of this um ends back up in sansvar and at one point they are holding out christening costumes on plastic hangers and I just had a very Christmas 
Prince Netflix, the first one with their cocktails with the, like the plastic straws or the plastic little spear things. I props, costuming, wardrobing, all of the above. What what are we doing? What is happening here? Total dumpster fire of a movie. Um, watch it, watch it for a laugh, but yeah. Anyway, all I have to say is if we bring it back for our fourth one, I'm going to ask that Prince Alec have a beard because Nick Hounslow with no beard whatsoever. I don't know if he's just had a lot of Botox done or if he just magically has no wrinkles whatsoever, but he reminds me, oh, this is mean. And I don't mean it in a mean way, but also, like, it, because if he is getting Botox, please stop. Uh, he reminds me of the plastic Santa from Santa Claus 2. Okay, that's my spiel on a Christmas. Christmas with a prince. No, Christmas with the prince of the royal baby. This is a mess. So after finding out that UpTV is also doing new movies on Saturdays and Sundays, I went to their website last night, got the list that's... I think 10, um, added them in. And so Christmas with the Prince of Royal Baby was Sunday's movie. So I was like, uh, oh, probably means I missed a Saturday one. And I did. And that was called a Royal Christmas engagement. So I went ahead and watched it this morning, uh, before I went into work. But now that I'm looking it up on IMDb, it says that it came out in 2020. So what are we doing here? Is it brand new? It says it was brand new, but it says 2020, not 2021. Anyway, it reads, Lauren, a hardworking advertising executive, begins to fall for Paul, a consultant she has been paired with to land a big account for the upcoming holiday season. Unbeknownst to Lauren and everyone else, Paul is actually Prince Edward Charles, European royalty in disguise as a commoner. UpTV, as now coined by me, thanks to fr my friend Sarah, is the Big Lots version of Hallmark. It's not even the Walmart version of Walmart. It is solidly the Big Lots version of Walmart. Of Hallmark. <laughs> it's the Big Lots version of Hallmark. Um, this movie was terrible. This movie was no offense to anyone that acted on it. I don't know how anyone acted on it with a straight face at any one singular moment in time. Starred Paige Bach and James Nitty. Nitty, whatever, as Lauren and Prince Edward. Just horrifically bad. In the first 15 minutes, we heard like three times about how he was never going to be king because he had an older brother who was going to secede the throne. To the point that like at one part, he's talking to his older brother and his older brother's like, look, I know that you're upset that you'll never be king because I'm here. I'm like, we saying this right now? Who, who wrote this script? Actually, you know what? Does IMDb tell me? Writer, Adam Rockoff. You, honestly, electric chair. Honestly, jail. Honestly, life without parole. Honestly, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Write to jail. You should never be in charge of ever writing another movie script ever. Unless your goal was to write a parody of a Christmas movie. Because if that was your goal, 
You nailed it. Uh, her boss, played by John Schneider, which I know he has been in other things. Um, his name is John Holiday, Mr. Holiday. Hire, or let, well, quote unquote, promotes Lauren, gives her this task of coming up with a new way to sell these Lamar chocolates to the American market because they're a European candy company. Um, but he's a misogynist and half the time he's like, well, this is too important to mess up. So I'm bringing in a male consultant from Europe to help you. And then another time he's like, why are you just standing here? Like, get to it. I'm not your sounding board. All of this. Ugh. In the end, whatever. Whatever. And I, this whole movie is, it's bad. Um, if I had to clip it, though, at one point towards the end, she looks and she's like, oh, brother. She doesn't realize that he's the prince. He uses his friend's name that was supposed to go, but, like, his wife was about to have a baby or something or other, so he couldn't go. So Edward goes instead. He, I mean, he gets to meet her parents and he's helping out and they technically don't hit it off. I mean, they're just so painfully bad. The acting is so painfully bad. Like, you can't tell if they liked or hated each other from any point in time in this movie. Um, she nails the account in the end, and then she finds out that he's a prince, and she says goodbye forever. And then her friend basically is like, okay, it's your pride talking. Like, are you sure you really want to do this? And then he shows up again, and he's like my plane leaves tonight. You need to tell me if I should go or if I should stay. And then she ends up telling him to stay and that he donates a million dollars or something. I, I wish I could get this hour and a half back of my life is, is pretty much where I'm at. But I mean, like I was laughing. I was laughing pretty much the whole time. So I was like, this is horrifically bad. But Adam Rockoff, you are fired. Never again. Never, ever, ever, ever again for you, sir. No. No, thank you. Moving on now to Netflix. So, I want to start this off by saying that last week I said that there were three Netflix movies. And look, the Netflix graphic has The Claws Family as the first one coming out this year. And it came out Monday, November 1st. But when I looked that up, everything says that came out in 2020. So I am confusion. So I have not watched that one yet because you know what? I have 94 movies to watch. I don't have time to watch the old ones. I'm already going to be watching the old ones, my favorite ones that I've already watched before. I'm not watching old ones that I haven't seen before at this point. You know what I mean? Anyway, Love Heart though came out on Friday starring uh, Nina Dobrev, Darren Barnett, and Jimmy O. Yang. And I thought it was going to be funny when I saw the trailer for it. It was so funny. It reminds me a lot of Holiday in this way that, well, this one's definitely more Christmassy because it's all around Christmas time, but I feel like you could really watch this one whenever. Although I'm still a little confused about the title, Love Hard. I think it's probably supposed to be a playoff of Love Actually, but I don't quite understand the hard part of it. Anyway, it reads, hopeless romantic but eternally single LA journalist Natalie thinks things are beginning to look up when she swipes right on a dreamy guy from the East Coast. Tag, 
Taking a leap of faith, she jumps on a flight to surprise her crush for the holidays, only to discover that she's been catfished by Tag's childhood friend, who is equally unlucky in love, Josh. This lighthearted romantic comedy chronicles her attempts to reel in love. Get it? Real catfish. Anyway. So, this movie, so many great one-liners. I, I was cracking up. I did two TikTok videos on it. They're three minutes long each. So, literally six minutes. Like, could not fit it in like, all of my favorite parts, and I didn't actually, like, write down those moments because I just put them on TikTok. But anyway, we start out, and it's a very, like, how to lose a guy in 10 days where she's writing, and it's the voiceover talking about how she's become a journalist and made her money, basically, in doing all these bad dates for years. And so, she it tails off by saying, um, like, oh, is it me or is it them or is it my, that my picker is broken? Her best friend, Kelly, played by, let me find it on here again, Heather McMahon, loved her. She was hysterical. She is sitting there and she's like, no, you know the common denominator? It's you. And Natalie's like, excuse me? It's all of these LA guys. And Carrie's like, no, but you've set your sights way too low. I had to import Mark from Ohio. <laughs> I was like, what a random state to pick. But also I'm from Ohio and I don't know. I don't know if we're going to classify them as much better. I mean, maybe they are. Um, so anyway, um, and the name of the title is Always a Bridesmaid. So I also felt like a little 27 dresses in there. So she, Carrie resets the radius to like all of the US. And so that night she's downloaded the app again and she's swiping and she comes across Josh. But the photo is of Tag. And the last one is he's holding up a sign that says Love Actually, um, the best Christmas movie ever with a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And so she swipes right on it and she's like, Love Actually, worst Christmas movie ever. And I have two points of contention here in this whole movie. And it's one, it's the slander against Love Actually, because I love Love Actually. And then it's the whole, like, dead horse beating of Baby It's Cold Outside. Look, in today's realm, yes, Baby It's Cold Outside doesn't sound great. But the context of the time and what they actually meant at that time, it's not a bad song. And I'm just, I'm kind of tired and I'm kind of done. Last year, this woman on TikTok had a whole thesis breakdown in a minute of the song and about why everyone's blowing it out of proportion and they don't understand history. And I was like, oh my God, I feel seen and heard. And I hope I can one day find that again because it was perfect. Anyway, so they argue about love actually and then it just goes through this whole series of things. I thought it was really sweet. At one point, she is talking to him and she tells him that uh, her mother used to read to her before she fell asleep. And she tells him that she had lost her mother last year or we know that she had lost her mother last year. And he reads, he just starts reading um, what the... Oh, it's a Shel Silverstein book, which I read, the Sidewalk book, and now I'm drawing a mind blank on the actual total name of it. I feel like if you were a kid growing up in the 90s, you read Shel Silverstein. 
what is it called? Um, the, what is it? The opposite side of the sidewalk? Shell Silverstein. Why am I where the sidewalk ends? I was like, I could literally, I could see the photo too. Um, so he starts reading to her and she falls asleep. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. So anyway, she decides to go to Lake Placid and surprise him for Christmas. Because after that night, she's like, last night was great. And he goes, it really was. And she says, I wish you didn't live so far away. And he says, I wish you were coming to visit me for Christmas. Is that crazy? This is where she gets this idea. So she goes, convinces her boss, Lee, who's played by, and I have no idea if this is actually his name. Um, well, I mean, it is, but I don't know if this is how you say it, but it's Maddie... Pinocchio? It looks like Pinocchio minus, but instead of a P, it's an F. Anyway, I thought the boss at first was just very crass and everything. Like, he has a shake weight and he's like, you gotta leave serious journalism to Steve. And she's like, screw Steve. And he goes, I did. Hashtag, don't tell HR. Low key. And I'm like, and I laughed, but at the same time, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. But, uh, when he finds out that they've never met, he's like, okay, wait, I take all of this back. Go go meet this guy. Like, this is going to be the best fail ever. So she goes, gets to the house. And honestly, I thought that the mother, who is played by Rebecca Staub, I thought she was Mrs. Incredible, like Elastigirl. I don't know why I always call Elastigirl Mrs. Incredible first, because I guess I just always think of their wedding scene. Um, but I thought it was Elastigirl. It was not. I, I literally paused the movie and looked it up because I was like, oh my God, is it Elastigirl? Is that the mom? And she meets his parents. And when she first like knocks on the door, the dad's like, who's, or someone's like, who's there? And he's like, is it the Mormons? This is going to come in. Like, it's going to be important here at the end. So anyway, they're standing around. They're like, man, no one ever comes for Josh. Like, this is like, mom's like, are you his G word? <laughs> she's kind of excited. She's like, well, you know, maybe more than that. Like, I don't know. Like, there's been no titles yet. He shows up and it's Josh. It's not Tag. So she takes off, goes to this bar, in walks Tag. She's downing drinks in walks Tag. And she's like, oh my God, she calls Carrie. And Carrie's like, wait, you mean to tell me you got catfished, but the guy that you got catfished with is here. Like, is there? She's like, you have to go for it. This is the universe telling you to go for it. <laughs> So, uh, so Natalie walks out, downs two shots that were not for her, and it's Christmas karaoke, but she, instead she sings, uh, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Tag and his two friends sitting there, like, all excited. She turns around. She's allergic to kiwi. Somehow there was kiwi in the shots and her face. (laughs) I was... I should have seen it coming when she was coughing. It was the holiday Halloween scene all over again where I was gasping for air. I was laughing so hard because everyone is so shocked and she has no idea. By the time she looks over in the mirror and sees her face, she screams, runs out. Josh shows up and she's in her purse and he's like, what are you looking for? She says, She says, my EpiPen, and just passes out in the snow. I was, if you can't tell, I was losing it. <laughs> I like, it was, it was a very good comedic moment. <laughs> so he takes her to a bed. 
<laughs> the closest hospital is 30 minutes away. And so um, he's like, look, I was Tag's best friend growing up. I can introduce you to him. She goes, oh, well, he already met me. And he says, your face was honestly so swollen. You looked more like Chucky. So he's not going to know that it was you. So she agrees and she can't go anywhere that night anyway. And when they get back, he's like, look, um, can't you do me this big favor and just pretend to be my girlfriend? And she's like, okay, whatever. Like, fine. I'll pretend to be your girlfriend. You're going to introduce me to Tag. Like, okay. So everything seems to be going fine. She gets introduced to Tag. Um, Josh says that it's his cousin. They quote unquote hit it off because he's like telling her, um, before he gets there, he's like, you need to, um, he's like, <laughs> he, um, he's like, he loves throw and he loves rock climbing and all of this stuff. So when they start talking, she's like, yeah, it's so aggro and all this. And Tag walks away and he's like, what are you, what are you doing? She goes, you told me to look up, like, acquaint myself. So I did. And he's like, you sound like a millennial with Tourette's. So, anyway, he, like, helps her with the climbing. She's afraid of flies. He ends up just pushing her off the side. She repels back down. <laughs> All of these things. It's so funny. And, like, it's funny and also cliche. And also the whole, like, beauty is more than skin deep or, like, looks fade. And I get it. I get it. So it all comes to a head. His brother Owen shows up. It's a very stepbrothers when what's his name? Like the karaoke scene. God, why, why am I drawing such mind blanks on everyone? Oh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but Owen is like the golden child and just very alpha and all of this. Um, like, he tries to figure out what's going on. There's another great line at one point where she and Josh are going over all of this because Josh pr fake proposes. And she's like, I have a date with Tag tomorrow. What if he finds out that I'm engaged to my cousin? <laughs> He's like, it's fine. No one's going to find out. It's fine. Well, in the end, his parents end up throwing them a surprise um, engagement party and at the restaurant that Tag's family owns. <laughs> Oh, God. They honestly, they they were able to hold it off for so long. Like, it took forever for everything to come to a head. But um, she has this change of heart moment after they had gone to a his grandmother's, like, senior citizen home, hangout place, whatever, and to help them with online dating, the old people, they don't care. They're like, you know, they, they're just playing all this stuff. And he's like, look. I've learned that love doesn't have to be beautiful. It just has to be honest because he and Natalie got into this huge fight because she's lying a lot to tag to try and get him to like her. And then she's like, I'm sorry, you're going to talk to me about lying. Like the only reason why I'm here is because you lied. And he goes, no, I lied about a photo. And she says, no, you hid behind a photo. You lied about your identity. And he says, every conversation, every text message that we had, every phone call, that was me. 
you liked me. You liked me so much that you flew out here to surprise me. Yeah, I put up different photos, but it was me you were talking to. I was being me. And she realizes that she's in the raw, that she can't do this anymore. So she kind of outs herself. Her boss, Lee, is showing up. She's like, how are you here? So he ends up showing up, like, finds her at the hotel, and he's like, look, I love a train wreck, but even that was a little too much. Are you okay? And I was like, okay, not me over here liking the boss. And he goes, you know, you run at the first sign of imperfection, so why didn't you just leave? And she's like, well, you know, I thought you would fire me. And he goes, I fired you four times. You just keep showing up. So he's like, you know, do you actually have feelings for Josh? And look, I get it. I, I'm a person that I need to be attracted to the person that I'm dating, like to the guy. But attraction is so much more than just looks, okay? Looks fade. Your looks change. You can get in a car accident tomorrow. If they're not nice, if they're not kind, if for me they're not funny and sarcastic and get my sarcasm and great with kids and all of these other things, trustworthy and loyal, you need all of that. You can't just be attracted to someone based off of looks. But, you know, you have to, you, you do have to be attracted to the person that you're with, I believe. So anyway, she realizes in the end that she did actually fall for Josh. Like, yeah, it wasn't his photos, but, you know, now she's been around him and all of this. So she shows up at the house. <laughs> she has these cardboard signs. <laughs> and she knocks on the door and he walks out. And she, the mom is in the house and she goes, who is it? And she holds up a cardboard sign and it says, say it's the Mormons. <laughs> he goes, it's the Mormons. And the dad's like, for the last time, we're not converting. <laughs> she plays music and it's all of these things and how she realizes that she actually likes him and, you know, can he ever forgive her? They get, like, the whole family comes out, they kiss. Like, I even ended up liking Owen, the brother, in the end. The movie, 10 out of 10 for me, it was super cute. Hallmark, or I'm sorry, not Hallmark, Netflix really captured the essence of a Christmas movie that, like, yeah, kind of falls into tropes, but also didn't. Like, it would have been just as easy for her to not end up with Josh, um, but it surprisingly worked really well. I don't know. It was, it was really good, and I already told people, like, you need to watch this movie, and I mean, this is the longest review yet, but it was a long movie, but it was good. You should watch it. Okay, wrapping up movies, Netflix had a second one come out on Sunday. Father Christmas is back with a all-star cast, but ultimately fell flat for me. So it's a cringe for me. I mean, it's not that it was bad, but like I had, I have 94 Christmas movies to watch and this one I would not choose to watch again. Starring Elizabeth Hurley, John Cleese, Kelsey Grammer, uh, Natalie Cox, Chris Marshall, Ray Fearson, Caroline Quinton, Tallulah Riley, Naomi Frederick. I'm like looking to make sure that's all of the major cast. Yes. Uh, it reads, Father Christmas is Back is a comedy centered around four very different sisters who have reunited for the Christmas holiday in Caroline and Peter's Yorkshire mansion. 
Caroline Christmas Hope is a control freak who desires nothing more than a perfect Christmas to atone for the fact that their father, James, abandoned the whole family on Christmas Day many years ago. Joanna Christmas is a fashion editor who likes expensive clothes almost as much as she hates the countryside and children. She has brought along her new city boy lover, Felix, for the festivities. Vicky Christmas is a man-eater who changes boyfriends as often as most people change their underwear. Paulina Christmas is an introverted music professor who has been writing her PhD thesis on the Beatles for a decade. Also along for the festive roller coaster ride is their butter-wouldn't-melt mother, Elizabeth Christmas, their plain-speaking farmer uncle, John Christmas, Caroline's long-suffering husband, Peter, and their two children, pubescent Daisy and chocolate-smothered Henry. The arrival of James, their long-last father, and his 35-year-old American girlfriend, Jackie, ruins Christmas hopes, sorry, ruins Caroline's hope for the perfect Christmas and sets off a series of mishaps, inconveniences, and misunderstandings that uncover the long-buried secret that tore their family apart so many years ago. So, one I need to say, any time I see Elizabeth Hurley, the very first thing I think about is how Hugh Grant cheated on her with a prostitute in the 90s because she still looks fan-freaking-tastic. She looks amazing. Hugh Grant does not. I, I still love Hugh, but, like, he really screwed the pooch on that one. John Cleese, hysterical comedic timing, always on point. Kelsey Grammer would play the guy with the 35-year-old girlfriend. He's like, it's been great ever since I moved to Florida. I've never had a girlfriend over 40. That would be Kelsey Grammer. If you know, you know. And if you don't, you should Google it. Um, Chris Marshall, Peter Hope, who plays Caroline's husband. It's Colin, god of sex from Love Actually. Obsessed. Love. He could have used a better haircut here. Um, not very Colin-like in this movie, though, but that's okay. And <clears throat> I'm just looking. Was like, going over all of this cast. So, that whole thing aside, Natalie Cox playing Caroline Christmas Hope is very much a control freak. She's got everything planned out. Elizabeth Hurley plays... Joanna Christmas, the fashion editor, uh, she shows up with their mother in tow, and then um, the other two show up, Vicky and Paulina. Paulina was a little weird for me, um, like it worked for her. She was played by Naomi, Naomi Frederick, and Tallulah Riley reminds me of someone else, and it's like on the tip of my tongue, but I don't know who. She has this whole thing with this bartender bin towards the middle, like, middle and end, and at the end, it made me laugh. Um, what this all basically boils down to, oh, that's who I don't, that's who I haven't said. April, um, Balby, Bow, Bo, Bowlby, April Bowlby, who plays Jackie. I was so excited to see her because she played in Drop Dead Diva as Stacy, the best friend, and I loved her in that show. So I like, I love Drop Dead Diva. So I was like, oh my God, it's Stacy. Um, they, it, everyone's there. The four daughters are there. Uh, John Cleese's character who, and he plays Uncle John. He's there. Obviously there's, there's a lot of sexual innuendo in this movie. So this is definitely not a family friendly movie. Like, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, but he and the mother, uh, played by Carolyn Quentin, Elizabeth Christmas, 
they, like, obviously have this, like, which you're like, okay, whatever. Spoiler alert. Like, I guess don't listen if you want to know. It's not like it's a big, huge deal. But anyway, we come to find out that they actually had an affair. And that's why Kelsey Grammer's character, James, left. And Vicky, the youngest, is Elizabeth and John's. Not Elizabeth and James. Um, and I'm like, oh, so we're going to make Kelsey Grammer the non-cheater here. Again, if you know, you know. So, I don't know. Like, this movie is very British and I love... Like, so I thought I was really going to love it. Elizabeth Hurley, her wit and her comedic timing sarcasm is so perfectly timed. But also, I was like, okay. I mean, that's just what she does and it's fine. But honestly, I would have just been happier if we had had a remake of The Royals and it was surrounding Christmas and she was Queen Eleanor again because that's truly her crowning achievement in life pun intended crown because she played a queen uh otherwise yeah it was long it um it had its moments there were parts where i was cracking up laughing caroline and peter towards the end there's a pregnancy test like they hadn't even slept in the same room for 18 months so he's going to the bathroom one morning after on christmas day once they've reconciled and he finds a pregnancy test in their bathroom and he thinks that she's having an affair so he leaves but it actually turns out that it's Joanna's. But he's like losing it to Felix. <laughs> they have this whole thing back and forth about like gestational periods and everything. He's like well unless she's a mosquito. Felix is like do mosquitoes have short gestational periods? Anyway um not really my cup of tea in total. It wasn't terrible like, I would watch this one over, like, say, Boyfriends of Christmas Past or Christmas in Harmony again. But overall, it's a three out of five stars for me. And on that note, I am done. That was eight Christmas movies. So far, that is the biggest haul. Uh, now I'm thinking that I do need to watch The Claus Family on Netflix if Up TV is calling that one, but it says 2020. I don't know. I don't know what to do at this point in time. Um, I might try to squeeze that in this week. Next week on week four of the Christmas wrap-up podcast, I can't even call them mini anymore. Let's just be honest here. They're full edition podcast. We will once again have three regular Hallmark Channel movies, uh, Open by Christmas, My Christmas Family Tree, and A Holiday in Harlem. The Hallmark Movies and Mysteries movie will be one December night. There will now be two Net, uh, Lifetime movies. We're adding in Lifetime now with an Ice Wine Christmas and a Picture Perfect Holiday. And then we have two Up TV movies, A Snowy Christmas and Snowden for Christmas. So that's, what did I say? Another eight. That's another eight movies. Nothing new on Netflix um, this week. Although next week... We get Princess Switch 3, and that's going to be a train wreck disaster that I can't wait for. Until next week, though, remember, if you ever get a gingerbread personally made by a family member for you, make a wish on it, and it might just come true. I will see you guys next time.